0: everyone to Rock M Nation podcast. Uh a top 10 podcast for all of SB Nation uh college side. Um we are on uh or we're here for another episode of Dive Cuts, it's season 5, uh episode 18. I'm your host Sam Snelling with me as always uh from the flatlands of of Indiana, uh Matthew J Harris. Matt, how's it going? It's going well.
1: Um we have better basketball to talk about. They did basketball marginally better. So uh, that will make this podcast marginally uh, less pessimistic, which... Uh, I, I, I would not give
0: us marginally better. It will make the topic marginally better to go over, but we are always perfectly mediocre.
1: That's fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> we're, we're constant. Our source material changes. We'll We'll, d- we'll go with that.
0: Uh, so last week we recorded, uh, and we did not know, not yet know the result of the um, the game at Ole Miss. Not expecting good things to happen because good things rarely happen in Oxford, uh, at least when you're a, a traveling basketball team from the University of Missouri. Um, and really, all Missouri sports kind of struggled uh, in the state of Mississippi last year. So. Um, it wasn't just basketball, but, uh, yeah. So Missouri went down to Oxford and like won convincingly, um, which I, neither of us really expected. I, I saw several different scenarios of, you know, ways that Missouri could win. Uh, I saw a lot more scenarios, of how they could lose. Uh, and they, I mean, they, they won by
1: 25, yeah, there was some there was some expansion that happened there after uh, Kermit got so agitated that he put in a bunch of freshmen and uh just seemed
0: He was so upset with his defense. He put in worse defenders he subbed
1: in Grant,
0: yeah, Grant Slatten and Eric Vanderhuyen. Is that how you Eric Van
1: Vander Eric Vanderheyden, James White, and uh Grant Slatten,
0: all of whom James White's a nice little uh, nice looking player. He is, but uh, all those guys
1: would technically qualify as bench warmers as they've played less than 10% of teams' minutes this year in Ken Palm. Uh so that should tell Rant Slatten is not even on the Ken Palm page. Correct. So that should tell you about the level <laughs> of just frustration that Kermit had with about eight minutes left in that game. He was just like, I'm done. I'm over this. He
0: he he did the wholesale uh, sub all five out multiple um, times, and then and then that little uh, that second team like the the, the three bench warming freshmen with uh, with Dacian Ruffin and Naysir Brooks, who's the the center who transferred from Miami um they put it together a little little run there and and
1: then the defense regressed and Missouri yeah
0: and then like Missouri had to kind of reset but then they quickly reset And I think at, after that point they went on yeah I think I had it in study hall it was like an 18-0 run or something yeah that
1: was like that it was yeah if you if burning all your timeouts in the first half wasn't a sign that you were uh disappointed in your team the the middle school move of subbing everyone in. Uh, certainly was, but no, that was a- realistically, have you ever seen a coach
0: call all their timeouts in the first half?
1: Um, there was only one game where I saw it come close and it was back when way back when I was covering UALR and I think it was, they were playing Denver. This is way back in the old Sun Belt, way back, way back, like 2010. And I think Steve Shields, yeah, Steve Shields was still the coach there and Steve was so upset with how UALR was not, like, guarding Denver's Princeton-based offense. Like, that they ran the Princeton offense. It was literally, you could open a guy and be like, oh, yeah, that's what, that's what the Pioneers run. And they had been so detail-oriented. Like, they just, the scouting session the day before had gone on forever. And Steve thought he had drilled it into them. And, like, they were just getting housed in, like, the first 15 minutes. And he was burning through them. And then I remember, I think, Joe Klein like had to go over to him and like remind him with like six minutes left in the first half. Cause they called a timeout and they were coming out of the huddle and Joe like tap Joe's Joe Klein, the guy who was calling the game on Saturday, at Alabama Joe big massive dude gently taps Steve on the shoulder and just holds up a one finger and I think he mouths one time out. And then that's when it dawned on Steve. Oh crap. The burn rate here can't continue. And he's, he pocketed it. They, they got back in that game in the second half and they needed it late. They had to like call, I think a timeout with like about a minute 30 left or something, but that's the only time I've seen it come close. And I just remember Joe Klein gently tapping Steve shields and holding up a single solitary index finger to tell him, Hey, uh, just a memo here, boss. Uh, we're down to one timeout, so that's that's about the only time I've ever seen it. Um.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Um, I mean, if I did it, you know, maybe when I was playing at some point, you know, you but when you're playing, you don't necessarily pay attention to that kind of stuff. You're like, oh, somebody called a timeout. You know, run over to the bench. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've ever. I mean as a coach, I think the most timeouts I ever called in the first half was two um that's, that was that was quite the move and, I, and realistically like i I kind of get it I mean, for whatever reason, they didn't look like, engaged at all. they did not look engaged uh and Ole miss they're not a they're not a bad team um they're not a good team <laughs> But they've 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 played well at times this year, and they've beaten some decent teams. Um, they they beat Mississippi State pretty soundly. Um, yeah, they had some other kind of close losses, and then they just, I guess, forgot to show up. They've actually beat Florida. I mean, Florida's playing without Colin Castleton.
1: Yeah, I think that um, they were just in a bad. They'd gotten. I only caught a bit of. it. They'd gotten thumped in College Station, um, by sixteen. And they get they were leading Auburn for long stretches the weekend before they played Missouri and then Auburn like just made a final push after the 10 minute mark in the second half and kind of pulled away for an 80 71 win. And you could tell that just they they looked just absolutely deflated by that. And they've had some injuries. Like I think they were missing they yeah, they were missing joiner. They're missing Allen, Robert Allen. Austin I mean, uh, Crowley was was not wasn't playing. playing. He, I think he's back. But. He's back, but he was out for that game. So they'd had a couple bad games. They you know they had they were undermanned and almost beat now number one ranked Auburn. And you know I, I just don't they did not look fully engaged there. They kind of looked honestly a lot like Missouri did in Fayetteville, where it was like they just did, one team came out with more energy and a little bit more locked in. And, you know, I thought Missouri um, did a good job uh, handling the switching defenses. I think uh, I was surprised that Kermit um, didn't stick with man as long as he did, but they just didn't matter what defense he was calling. They just did not look at all like they were completely invested in what was happening on the floor.
0: Uh, but a good win for Missouri. They, they you know, very clearly needed it. Um... You know, obviously, the basketball that's been played um, over the last you know couple of weeks since they kind of went on their COVID pause. You know, they beat Alabama. Uh, sort of remove the uh, getting housed at Arkansas thing. Um, probably should have beaten Texas A and M. You beat Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss, and then um, and on Saturday, like you know, realistically, you're up fourteen with 14 to play um, and had control of the game for, for most of the game until, uh, you know, things just sort of got away from them. Um, but the, the, they're clearly playing better basketball, which I think is, uh, you know, encouraging. If you're, if you're the kind of fan that likes to watch your, the team you cheer for play well, <laughs> it's, it's better. But I know there's a lot of people that are kind of rooting for this thing to just keep going south so they can get rid of the coach. Um, I'm, I'm not in that cap, man. i I'm always the guy that, that wants things to work out. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, e- even when I'm confronted with all kinds of evidence that it won't.
1: I think what I would say is that I would like to see this team play as close to its baseline as possible and have that be what you're judging the, this program on. You know, I, I think they weren't anywhere close, to, you know, you and I have said repeatedly, we, I thought this was a 13 14 15 win team in the preseason so when we say baseline you know if they get back they're on track to be like 12 and 19 right now if they flip another result it's 13 and 18 that was perfectly within the realm of possibility but as we've talked about also how does that 13 and 18 look is it yeah and you know I think they're getting closer to the point where you can say okay they were atrocious in road games early on the year against good teams, you know, they've, but you know, in mid January, they started to piece things together a little bit and, you know, they weren't ever going to overcome the hole they dug from like an efficiency margin perspective, but over the last 14, 15 games, they looked competent. They looked like a group that was going to be competitive every single night. That's what we're going to judge this staff on is that, data, you know, you can't throw out what happened early in the year, but you know, you're going to have something closer to what we thought this team would look like. And that's what you're going to judge, uh, the staff and its future on. Um, so I think that right. that was, that was sort of healthy. I thought the Alabama game was, you know, I spoke of the Arkansas game, you know, from Missouri's effort perspective, I thought Ole Miss lacked intensity in, in Oxford and, and really I thought Saturday was also kind of that way both teams just had periods where they didn't necessarily look engaged and more so Alabama than anyone else of the two but it was just weird how much just mentality as much as raw talent and, and scheme were a factor in these kind of run of results Missouri's looked like a team that's invested is engaged and is focused and they've played some teams who I think you know haven't always been that way And it's it's made, you know, Missouri look a little bit better. And I think it's it's certainly, you know, helped them get to a place I think is far better than they were a couple weeks ago.
0: So I guess we as we progress through the week, we should probably talk about Sean Durer, Gordon.
1: Yeah, that was I think anybody that you could kind of see the writing on the wall there get, or at least it getting making out there, you know, he hadn't played in a couple of games um, really since the Kentucky game. You know, he got some extended minutes in the first half of that one and, you know, didn't really come to bear there, but um, I think it's a question of like, what it, of, and I think you sort of hinted at this. What's the players expectations of playing time versus what the staff has in mind. And, you know, I, I think if, Sh- you know, Sean probably would have thought I've come in early. I've put in time here. You know, we've struggled. You know, maybe I thought I'd be seeing the floor a little bit more. But I get it from like the coach's perspective, too. You know, they, you know, they put him out there for some closing minutes against Kansas and he brought some energy. Not so much against Illinois when he got some looks late in garbage time there. Um, you know, he got a little bit of extended time in the first half against Kentucky and didn't really pop. And you've mentioned at times, you know, he's just looked lost defensively in terms of rotations and where he's supposed to be. And, you know, that doesn't mean that a kid's not going to be good. It just means that, OK, you're not going to be a guy that we give 10 or 12 minutes a game to right now. We still believe in you. We still think and you're you can be a piece for us. But we're in conference play and, you know, we, we got to put guys out there that can do the work for us. So if there's an opportunity. We'll give you some time, but you know, we're we're trying to make sure we all have jobs next year. Right. But I mean, even if that wasn't the case, it's like, even if you're in the mix, like even if you're hunting for like a postseason bid, it's like, all right, at some point we got to get down to brass tacks. You know, we got to make the line with the rotations got to reflect that. And, you know, I don't know if Sean got ex- as many extended uh, stints as some people might want to see, but he got opportunities. Um, and I think it's fair to say, you know, unlike, you know, Trump in Brazil didn't pop, didn't, you know, necessarily show you that, okay, we're going to give this guy some more latitude. Um, we can talk about whether or not the same standards being applied to him versus other freshmen. But if you just isolate Sean's case, I, I, I can't really see too much fault in, in terms of how that was managed. Um, and, you know, and like you've, like you said, or wrote on Twitter, you know, in this day and age if a freshman's not playing, he's probably going in the portal. So it, it just, I think it reached, you know, a situation where Missouri's coaches were going to say, look, we're going to play who can get us results. And Sean said, I want more time. And so you just part ways.
0: And here's my general take on, on Dura Gordon. And I, you know, i I debated whether or not we need to do like a roster math kind of post. And I just don't really think it's necessary because I don't really think he factors into this team's success this year. Um, you know, reading some of the, you know, reactions. And, and you know, I think one of the funny things about when, you know, when you're on Twitter and I haven't spent as much time on Twitter lately. Uh, it's frankly been very healthy for me. Um, but uh, when you when you pull up like the the Twitter website, you know they sort of filter results that you know may be interesting to you, like you know perhaps it's an account that you follow, like the, a tweet or something like that. Like oh, you know, so you get more results than you would otherwise. And I saw some some comments from different people that I uh, I don't necessarily follow, but I found it really and. I think, you know, me when it comes to like revisionist history is, is I just, I don't like pretending that something is different to, I I guess, so I can continue to feel a certain way about like Kanza Martin, for example. And I think there are a lot of people that were trying to make this move of Sean Gordon like another like indictment of why Consul Martin is not going to work out. And it's just like, look, there are a lot of things that have gone on in Martin's tenure that can give you real good evidence that maybe it's not going to work out with Consul Martin. Sean Dewar Gordon is not that guy, just as Mario McKinney was not that guy, you know, just as, like, Axel Congo taking up a 13th scholarship is not that guy. Like, like that doesn't impact this program, the head coach, and, and, and what we can uh, potentially see. Um, you know, Shondor Gordon, when you watched him, it was easy to see why he was an intriguing prospect. Uh, but that's all he is at this point, is an intriguing prospect. He's not a good basketball player. Um, he's a fascinating prospect, and, and somebody that when when you know you're you're not good, I'd have been fine with them continuing to kind of give him you know six eight minutes of run per game, just to try to see if he can figure it out because because of the kind of ceiling that he has, the kind of athlete that he is. Um, but right now he's just objectively not a good basketball player, and. And so losing him to the portal while it stinks for like long-term growth of the program, that's the reality of, of college basketball now. And one of the things that I also really don't like is like, you know, I saw, I don't remember who it was, but you know, some tweet saying, Oh, like how many guys is Konzo Martin lost to the transfer portal? And it's
1: like. Mizzou was was usually around average
0: every year. Yeah.
1: Like, and, and like,
0: there was a period where, like, for two to three years where the solid core of the team was together. Their turnover was minimal. Uh, they had some at the fringes. Yeah,
1: it was your end of bench for- guys. It was your spots 9 through 13 that were turning. Yeah. And that's that's going to happen in the portal era. You're going to...
0: Right. If You're, 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 you're going to lose guys. If you're not
1: in the top like, nine of a rotation come year-end, you're probably gonna you're gonna put your name in the portal, and you're gonna hunt, unless you are now, unless people, unless there's massive veteran turnover in front of you. Right. But if the core is coming back and you are ninth through thirteenth, probably gonna go in the portal. Like, there's a good chance those guys are gonna be fielding calls or looking elsewhere. And and uh, and yeah.
0: So I like. If if you want to get upset about Konzo losing, guys, be upset about Trey Jackson. Like I'm I'm so like I wish that he'd have found a way to keep Trey Jackson. But I'm not I'm not losing sleep over Sean Dewar, Gordon. No. Um no. I, I wish the kid like well. I I really think like he does have a very high ceiling. He he's gonna be a really good fit wherever uh if he if he moves down a level, if he goes to like the A ten. Uh, has a little more time to get run and to work out the kinks in his game. I think he'll be a really good player. But I mean, realistically, you could probably find a guy at that same position, similar athleticism, pluck him out of you know that mid-major and transfer portal this spring, and there, there's your replacement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know we talked in the preseason there were really two freshmen that I think everyone was sort of focused on would they get into the mix here, and that was. Anton Brookshire and term Brazil and you no know, Yaya Kato was a guy that you know it was sort of like how much would the knee and you know working back from the knee injury allow and you no know, Yaya gets about you know ten to twenty possessions a game sometimes you know gets that you know coming out of the COVID pause and you know also trying to you know ensure that his knee was holding up they 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 kind of put him on ice for a little bit but he was basketball games he's been back to his normal sort of allotment of minutes. You know they found a way to sort of try Caleb Brown in some pinches, you know, before media timeout. So I think they're, you know, they're the the other two freshmen that are sort of at the back of the rotation have sort of found ways to sort of get ensconced and you know try and make the most of whatever time they get. And but you know you don't see them, you know, I don't see fans, you know, freaking out that you know Caleb Brown and Yaya Kate aren't getting massive run. I think the the focus is going to be on Anton Brookshire and Trevin Brazil. And, you know, we talked about Anton's sort of situation last week. He took another DMP in this one um, that I think is two or three in a row now for him. And he wasn't getting a ton of minutes at Arkansas before that. So now he played a little bit at Mississippi State. So this is two DMP. So it was a DMP against A&M, you know, 90. Realistically, yeah, I mean, he's he's basically he's, been been put on ice the last three or four
0: games. Four of the last five games he has. I mean, he he played a minute at Ole Miss. It was the last minute. Yeah. He had six against Arkansas. I think some of those minutes were in the first half. Yeah. Um, but DMP against Alabama, DMP at Alabama, DMP against A and
1: M. Yeah. So that's if you're looking at, you know, one to monitor. I think that would be a situation that um is probably more worrisome as the season moves on there. I think um, especially given how tied to the hip he and sort of Brazil are given that they're both Kickapoo guys, given their, bol- their AAU backgrounds and stuff like that. And, you know, I think.
0: Well, that's that. realistically, like, that's a tough situation, you know, for, for even Martin. I mean, I, I still feel like you, you got to find a way to keep him engaged and keep them in the games. But, I mean, Anton has not been – as good as we thought he could be, uh, he's got you know a, an abysmal offensive rating. He's not very good defensively. He's not shooting the ball well. Um,
1: and to all, you know, but to your point, I mean, I think the the engagement factor's got to be there. How do you keep a kid like that locked in and sort of committed and sort of engaged with what you're doing, and you know, not at risk, you know, for going elsewhere? Because I think that's where you start to worry, is if you know Dura Gordon leaves, and if Brookshire leaves, and if there were some world where Brazil follows suit, then you then you have a real problem. Then you know the argument we've made here is the the reason for staying the course with Martin is that you is that young guys are showing progress and you know growing into you know, guys who are going to be ready for more expanded roles next year. If you're losing, you know, if you're losing three guys I just mentioned, that that argument takes a really big hit. So I think that that's something to monitor. But in isolation, you're right. Dura Gordon is just sort of a sign of the times at this point. And, you know, you wish him well. You hope that he finds on what he's looking for his next stop. But it is what it is. Um, but... Then they had to go to Alabama with and they kept the bench short there. It didn't, you know, they they shortened it up even more once once they got to Tuscaloosa.
0: Yeah, I mean even uh and we've sort of heard a couple different stories on on you know Brazil and and his uh his minutes in the second half. He did sort of land awkwardly in his ankle and um and apparently like Conzo mentioned today in his presser that you know Brazil was hurt is that like the case? He put it back in and while he was in, he hit a three. Um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm not going to say like he was lying at, after the game or lying uh, at the press conference, maybe just trying to, you know, remember everything that happened.
1: It really is. Like people think like, Oh God, you just watched the game. Like, why wouldn't you know what happened? Like I've, this sounds nuts, but I've had coaches who've like come in and they haven't seen the final stat sheet until they are the, f- they've sat down at a mic and the SID has put it in front of them. And like, <laughs> like, cause think about it. You got to get off the floor. You got to talk to your guys. You got to get out. You got to walk. You're coming down the hall. You're going to walk into a room full of writers, all of whom are going to ask you stuff. And like, I remember asking Johnny Jones, one, Jones once about, they played a double overtime game LSU had against Bama. And I'd asked, you know, how Bama changing some ball screen coverages had mattered down the stretch. It was a really myopic and like really navel-gazing question by me. And Johnny was just like, Matt, I haven't watched the film yet. <laughs> like, I, I'm i sure it mattered in some way, but I haven't watched the film. Like, we just got done. Like, so There's, there's some stuff where I get like coaches are trying to even process everything. They've had to make a million decisions in real time. And like they remember like they remember the big stuff. So like, do I think Conzo was lying or do you think do I think it was some mix of the two of like if I had to arm if I had to armchair it, I would say Brazil hurt his ankle. They played through a couple of possessions, they subbed him out when they normally would. You know, Missouri was with him sitting, was playing pretty well. And he's like, Well, I can see him saying, well, Trevin rolled that ankle up. We're hanging in. Ronnie's giving us something in the post. Let's just ride it. Let's just see what happens. And then Bama gets on, goes on that run from about 12 minutes to 8 minutes. They're pushing. They take the lead. And now it's like, all right, all right. Let's we got to change something up here. We're getting eaten alive off the bounce. Let's put Trevin back in. Trevin, is your ankle good? It's good to go on it. We'll play him. Like it's yeah. probably somewhere in a mix of those two.
0: And regardless of what you know, a trainer says, if you're on the bench and a coach comes to you and says, "Are you good to go?" Like the
1: kid's gonna say, okay, "Yeah." You, you, like
0: you, you say, "Yeah." Like if you can walk, you're gonna you're gonna go out on the
1: court, right? So I think it was probably like, <laughs> like Trump probably nicked him, probably got nicked. They got him off the floor, and the trainer's like, "If you sit him, you might be able to like avoid him, you know, tricking it again and then making it worse." And like, okay, we're hanging in here. We're you know we're running. Because objectively, like through the 13 or 14 minute mark, Missouri was in control of that game. So it's like, all right, if we don't have to make it worse, let's not just put him back out there. So, like, I think you can reasonably critique, you know, Zoe not putting him back in. You know, if you felt like you were going to make that move with two minutes left, why not go ask that question with eight minutes left? But I don't think there's probably anything nefarious to why, you know, I don't, I think you can easily see why it's probably, shades of truth for both of the answers there. So it is what it is. But I I think the question probably should have been asked if you can, you know, why, you know, when you notice that Bama's starting to get home and really starting to get on the glass between like the 10-minute and 8-minute mark, why didn't you consider that earlier? But again, that's in-game situations there. You know, I'm sure folks wouldn't like the explanation, but you could ask that. That to me would have been a reasonable question to get into was why not earlier but as to why brazil was sitting i can i can see how a little bit of there's grains of truth in both of the answers he gave
0: so uh all in all um everything kind of considered going one-on-one and and, um making it through that with uh that week with a win is pretty good because this week's gonna be tough um so we're recording as usual Monday night. It is uh, January twenty fourth on Tuesday, January twenty fifth. Missouri welcomes the uh, number one team in the country and number five team in Ken Palm. Um, Jesse Newell is outraged. Looks, look, look. It looks like the uh, <laughs> the Ken Palm rating gave gave Jesse Newell the. Uh, the nod to move them up enough spots to get enough votes to get into that top spot. Uh, I, I, I didn't actually look at Jesse's ballot. Uh, but, I, um, I think all he had to do was vote them like six the week before and they would have yeah, been, I, I think he had them ninth. Um, My- that would have been enough for Auburn to be number one last week. Uh, they're coming off a very emotional, uh, win over Kentucky on Saturday. um,
1: just that it, yeah. it, it's
0: like it. it are we, you think Missouri's going to catch him on the, on the downswing and, and, uh, we, the the Tigers under Constable Martin have lit up a Bruce Pearl Auburn team in Mizzou arena in the past.
1: That team didn't have Isaac Coro, I believe, um, who was kind of important for them. <laughs> I think like Auburn was something ridiculous, like plus 21 with the on off rating for him and, so yeah, uh, I thought, and that was a game where the fouls really benefited Missouri. Everyone was. We can go back and talk about the foul situation on Saturday if, if you want later on, but uh, Missouri benefited from a good whistle, I think, in that game against Auburn. Or, um, but yeah, they've they've caught Auburn here a couple times, but man, when they've gone to Auburn arena, it's been a house of horrors for them. Um, this is
0: Aub- Auburn shot forty six free throws. In that game that I'm that we're talking about. Okay, so yeah. this is
1: this is two years. Yeah, ago. so it was flipped. They they absolutely got all the whistles, and there's only reason
0: Auburn w- shot. Well, Missouri shot twenty nine free throws.
1: There was just a lot of free throws. There was a lot of free throws that was that throw shot. <laughs> God, that was a long game. I, that's all I remember was, it was a really long game because Auburn also three, was one one of seventeen. That's what I remember. They they couldn't yeah. buy a three to save their life, and Missouri they didn't have a ton of rim protection in that game. Missouri was getting home. Because they had just rolled out Barcelona a couple games earlier and made it the base. So, but this Auburn team, um, just freakishly deep. They go, they legitimately go ten deep. Um, their guards, who we thought were going to be problematic, have been really, really, really good. Um, Wendell Green is a fun player, uh, a guy I, I was who contacted while he was in the portal and a guy I wish you remember from the spring. I was a huge Wendell Green fan. Loved that guy. Um, an elite pick-and-roll operator as a freshman, regardless of level. Um, Missouri runs a pick-and-roll offense. He would have been handy to have, Sam, uh, but that's one under the bridge. Bruce Pearl has him. He's a fun point guard, if uh, not for some questionable shot selection sometimes. T- they got Alan Flanagan out there on on the perimeter as, as a veteran. Uh, Zep Jasper, a guy who we thought was going to be a shot hunter, has done a really nice job buying in as a defense kind of first point guard and a uh, defense first kind of combo guard and really, really settled in there and gives him some sporadic jump shooting. But we know who the star here is. It's Jabari Smith, a uh, potential number one so, pick. He's so good. He's
0: so good. <laughs> um,
1: God bless whoever draws Jabari tomorrow night. Um, and then Walker. Well, he's, he's six foot 10 with guard Same. skills, legitimate guard skills. Um, yeah. Not as good. The one thing you can critique him on is, the handle is not elite in, you know, as far as like rim attacks, but that guy can work dribble combinations into a pull-up. He's mastered now kind of like pushing and pulling up in transition for three balls. You give it to him off the catch. His jump, it's one fluid compact motion. It's gorgeous to watch him shoot it. Um, And a, a good defender, not necessarily an elite defender, but He's good within that scheme and he's really, really good at funneling stuff to the guy on the back line who, if you're really looking for a fun, like sort of head to head matchup here in a way is Walker Kessler versus Trevon Brazil. Who's going to swat the most shots? Who's who's going to turn the other team away most Because Walker Kessler sporting a gaudy 19% block rate. And then they can just throw bodies at you off the bench. It's, Katie Johnson, Well, realistically,
0: like this is sort of, you know, a Bruce Pearl wet dream um, because they love secondary blocks. Uh, Auburn has always been. They are
1: so good rotating and funneling.
0: Yeah, like really good athletics uh, or really good athletes. And and then they get that second rotation. They get you off the ball. You think you've got a lane and then you've got (laughs) like two dudes you have to shoot over by the time you get to the rim. Um, you know, if, if you're, I think if you're patient, you can really work them and get good open shots. Um, it is, it is, it is tough, but they do have some shot blockers and, and having a dude like Kessler on the back end, and then basically following that up with, uh, you know, with somebody as athletic as Jabari Smith. Um, it's, it, this, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge.
1: You're going to have to shoot them out of it a little bit here. Um, you know they'll they'll give up some jumpers, but the point just but really the thing you got to do is hope that you can put pressure on the rim and get some guys in foul trouble. You know Kessler has sat early in a couple of games because he'll go he's like any shot blocker sometimes he'll 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 hunt a little bit more than he should and rotate and go up when he shouldn't and you can put him on the bench but you know then they'll throw out trying to look who's behind him. They got Jalen Williams, you know, behind him who's another really kind of long dude. You know they've got. No, I'm sorry, Dylan Cardwell. Like, they got like Dylan Cardwell lines. behind him. Dylan Cardwell is not an offensive guy, but that guy swats 15% of shots. He's got a 15% block rate. Like, they can just put Dylan Cardwell in there and be fine. Like, and have him eat it. So, the real hope here is that, like, sometimes Jabari um won't disappear, but, like, he can be deferential. Sometimes, like, Wendell Green and Katie Johnson's shot selection is um questionable but this team just comes at you in waves. They're too deep. They can keep the pressure on you at, at just an insane level. Um they turn teams over 22% of the time. That's top 50 nationally. It's not, you know, top 10, top 20, but they can put heavy ball pressure on you and if you beat them, like you said, they've got that second rotation there. It's just it, it's going to be really tough. It's gonna be really, really tough, and they play fast on both ends. They they can speed you up defensively, and that that's not good for this Missouri team. So it's gonna be again, can Missouri control the pace here? But even if you get into a half court game, unless Missouri's gonna shoot them out of their defense and punish them, it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really hard, I think, for for Missouri to find a path here. But um, we'll see, we'll see what they can do. Um, but it's it certainly. The, the stiffest test they've seen it just from a depth perspective. The, Auburn's not going to have any problem keeping the tempo up all night and, and keeping the ball pressure steady. And that's problematic for this group.
0: Yeah. So Auburn is an elite defense. Um, again, like stranger things have happened. It's not out of the you know realm possibility that Missouri pulls the upset that there is a, one in 10 chance that they win this game. It is a home game. Um, Auburn has 90% chance to win. So that is statistically possible that Missouri will win this game. Um, but we have always like not really loved the matchup of Missouri teams going up against Auburn. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, like I said, we, they, they they caught up a couple years ago. You kind of mentioned the, the surroundings of that, you know, not having a Coro. Uh, it was a absolute foul fest. And I like how, is, how do you shoot almost 40 free throws in a game? Like that, that is it was it was absurd. Oh. Um. um but yeah, so it's it's unlikely. Then they they will travel uh to Ames, Iowa for the Big 12 SEC challenge to take on Iowa State. Uh Iowa State has uh, come back to Earth a little bit. Um but they guard their asses off too. They are. They're yeah, they're a top ten defense. One, two, three, four, five, five losses in their last seven. Uh wins over Texas Tech at home and Texas at home. Uh they did just lose to TCU. Ooh. They only scored 44 points against TCU. I bet that was a 59 to 44. Not a pleasant game to watch. Uh.
1: The Big 12, though, is it's deep. It's deep. It's Every, like every year, like the,
0: but I think part of it is, and you know, I think this is a just th- the thing with conference play. the big twelve is always solid, and those middle to low end teams in the big twelve are elevated because they'll give the teams at the top a tough game, yeah <laughs> so so their ken pom rating, you know will will boost a bit just by. Uh, you know, like losing it at home to Kansas by six instead of you know like Missouri's done and lose by thirty, yeah, so
1: and you know Iowa State's a team two under t j Otzelberger uh massive turnover there, I think they're like three hundred and fortieth in minute in continuity of minutes. they're not a big team, like Missouri and them are probably gonna be comparable in terms of size uh the ball handling's a little bit slipshod for them uh they do not shoot the three-ball well, not as poorly as Missouri, but they're not a great jump-shooting team. Um, so a little turnover-prone, not a great jump-shooting team. Isaiah Brockington's been a pretty good player for him. Uh, Tyrese Hunter's you know playing a lot for him, but he's a freshman and second in usage and has an 88 offensive rating. Uh, Gabe Kalsher, a Minnesota transfer, is a senior, 84. So their they're heavy usage guys aren't that efficient. Um, Brockington's having to shoulder a lot of the load there. I'm just kind of come back to earth after a hot start. But where this team's going to make its living is defensively. They they play no middle, um, which is basically that they're going to – Sam, would you say the best thing is probably it's on the line, up the line, and they ice every side ball screen. So they want to keep the ball on one side of the floor. And if you're going to try and reverse it, there's going to be heavy pressure on the passer and on the guy receiving it. And they're going to try and they're going to force turnovers. They're fourth nationally in turnover percentage, and they can play out a little bit. Um, doesn't really affect their pace too much, but they just bleed you dry of possessions. Is realistically what they do. So, yeah, uh, problematic if you are a team like Missouri who has struggled against heavy ball pressure <laughs> this year. So, yeah, and Ames, Missouri fans know Ames is a tough place to go play. Uh, they saw it a couple years ago when Missouri went up there with a probably a more talented roster and got run out of the gym so uh this is a game where i almost look more at a team's defensive rating and they got two top 15 defenses they're facing this week for an offensively challenged squad so uh just a tough ask this week
0: um if you want to get a preview of uh iowa state they they play oklahoma Oklahoma State. state On Wednesday, so uh, you would not even have to skip the Missouri game on Tuesday, and you could watch that. Yeah, um, That is a, a road game at Oklahoma State. Uh, I, I hate watching games at Oklahoma State, because I feel like they that camera like angle is so high. It's
1: always been that way, baby. It's been that I way since it. the days of the Phillips 66 Raycom broadcast. Love it. I, yeah, I remember. I remember during the pandemic, people were like, man, this, this camera angle is crazy during the pandemic, and I was like, it's always been that way and folks just watching it for the first time. I remember draft Twitter was watching Kate Cunningham. And they're like, this camera angle sucks. And I was like, you clearly never watched a game from Gallagher Iba before. Um, but yeah, tough week for, for Missouri. Would you say this is a week where, again, it's about keeping the margins respectable at this point? Um, it's always Yeah, that. I
0: mean, I I think at this point, like, it's if, – if you have the opportunity – to to pick up a win, like, obviously do it. Need, but you need to you need to pick up that win. Um, Missouri's not in a place where, uh, yeah, it, like it, it's not gonna be just about the margins. Clearly, you know, if if they lose both these games, um, I would say like that's to be expected to lose to Alabama, Auburn, and Iowa State. How you lose to them will you know play a factor into how fans are feeling about the program. But you know, the the end result is is you know, a loss is still a loss and if you're you know, if you're 9 and 11 and 2 and 5 going into the home game against Florida, uh you feel a lot better. You know, even if if let's say you lose to uh Auburn by, you know, 8 points instead of 25 points. Right. I guess my point Um, is that
1: this isn't a week. Like, if you were to look at, like, last week we talked about going to Ole Miss as being one of those games that, like, if you are going to evaluate this staff at the end of the year, that's kind of a game where I would look at and say, okay, state was, you know, Ole Miss is struggling. They're a team that, you know, is kind of comparable to where Missouri is. That's a result that that you sort of look at and want to see how the team does and, and want to really get a close reading of. And to their credit, they showed up and they played really well. We thought maybe Bama would be a little bit primed for revenge. Um, they got, the look, what happened in the last 10 minutes is is certainly not what you want. But Missouri looked competent for long stretches of that game. So I think if you look at last week, you sort of say, okay, this is a team that that looks like it's starting to figure some things out. And if they can just continue to look competent this week, look competitive, if you have a shot to get the win, absolutely take it. But if you're looking competitive and competent this week, you get to four games where I think you could really try and and, and turn some serious momentum in your favor. So I think this week is just about trying to solidify what we've seen recently and really give yourself a chance for the next two weeks to to really, I think, Bolster your case, so that's just where my head's at on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I don't think at any, and again, like I feel like we I've probably said this every podcast for the last, you know, six, um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think any one or even any two results are going to be, you know, the tipping point. I know fans are going to react. How fans are going to react? Uh, to whatever result happens, you know, they're we're, we always overreact positively when they win uh, and overreact negatively when they lose. Um, you know, but the reality is, 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 you know, the the results, the rest of the season are, are what's going to matter. So first Auburn, I mean, you will just want to get as many wins as you can. And I really kind of think that if you're if you can get to six, seven wins and, you know, then you're, you're really kind of talking, I think for me, six is kind of the number. I think you're talking about, a you know, a, a realistic case for like giving Konza one more chance. Um, you know, whereas, you know, if, if something happens against Auburn, uh, or maybe like, the last ten minutes against Alabama was like you know the, the the point uh sort of turn things back downward for Missouri versus you know the previous you know results of the of uh, the games that we talked about um you know which I just don't really think that that's the case because I feel like we've seen Kansas Martin teams kind of have like a rough stretch and then just rebound like they always do um you know but yeah so I I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't. I don't think that I'm going to react one way or the other over the, the the course of this week, and and how they play is is always going to be more important. Yeah, and because uh, if they're if they're continuing to to play like they played, then I think they are going to get to like you know six or seven conference wins, and and kind of be in that realm that we kind of hope they might.
1: And we talked about this before we came on air. I think you you look around the country, and this is an. Ex- to excuse what what's happened to Missouri specifically, but there are a lot or there are probably a, more high major programs than normal struggling this year. You know, you could go through and there's probably fifteen or twenty between ninety and one fifty in Kim Bomb, which is a lot. You know, normally once you get past one hundred, you know, you might see, you know, probably eight nine in a given year depending on where things are in that sort of range so like stanford is 91 rutgers 92 virginia 93 Uh, then you got st john's at 99 nc state at 100 half the teams between 90 and 100 are you know high majors you know there are teams that are struggling right now to put things together you know Even a program like Louisville, I don't think anybody would have ever said when Chris Mack was hired that that team would be 114th in Kim Palm. But there they sit. They sit right there. You know, I, I, if you told me South Carolina was going to be 109th, I'd say yeah, I could see it. If you would have told me, you know, even if Arizona State was losing a large chunk of its roster last season, I would have never said Arizona State was going to be at 124. You know, there are you know Washington has. Was getting. I think they were down like forty-eight to thirteen to Oregon last night at halftime. Washington looks like it's lost. Butler, a team that you know everyone pointed to as a model of consistency and of stability, is hundred and forty-seventh in Kimpom. Uh That that makes the the Harris household very sad. Mrs. Harris was disappointed to see the result at Providence yesterday. Um, Georgetown, a team that we thought you know that some people thought you know might have turned the corner last year getting to a tournament under Patrick Ewing, 158th, you know, and these are coaches like Mike Hopkins, Laval Jordan, Patrick Ewing. These are all guys that were hired the same year as Konzo Martin, Chris Mack in the same sort of period. All those guys are struggling right now. And so it's, it's a year where you can't excuse what's happening at Missouri entirely. I think you have to evaluate Missouri's situation on its own, but when you look afield field, Missouri is not the only one that's, going through a really hard reset this year it's it's been interesting to see what what's transpired since last spring when we had so much portal movement
0: yeah and i think that's like that's another aspect of this is you know like what and this is probably a better conversation for like the off season but what are what are our expectations from year to year from for different programs uh, you know, and with the amount of movement that is, um, you know, bound to be fairly consistent now that, you know, the one time transfer, you know, a lot of teams are kind of sitting in this spot like Missouri is, um, you know, where like you look at Missouri's roster and you look at the way Boogie's been playing and has been playing and Kobe's been playing. you're like, yeah, OK, like if we can get a guy who can shoot and a point guard this offseason, like I can see this this team kind of being all right. You know, like if you can keep Trevin in, in the fold and, and, you know, kind of keep him in that four or five spot and, and yaya continue to develop him. Like I can see this team kind of making a move next year with just these two new players, but there's coaches all across the country. Already putting <laughs> calls. They're thinking the it's same tampering thing.
1: season, baby. It's always tampering season. Like there are guys, the contacts have already happened. Like with, with, you know, I'm sure Sean was hearing from coaches before. I'm sure guys at other programs are already hearing and their camps are hearing from folks. Like it's it really is can you re-recruit guys to your roster every year? And like I understand that we're gonna see more player movement, but it it's you know, it's now a challenge. You cannot take for granted that we're gonna have this guy for one or two development years and like you were saying earlier you got to keep guys engaged when they're not playing because they they get a free they get a free pass now you know and and I think to a degree that's an accountability move for staffs as well like people are going to blame kids always for transferring but it's adults calling right now it's adults who make the spreadsheets tracking these kids and you know it's the the coaches who are complaining should be complaining about their colleagues and how their sort of behavior makes this happen. But it's a fact of life now. So we'll see. But, you know, some programs, you know, that, you know, went out and, you know, object- Arizona State, people would have said Arizona State killed Missouri in the portal. There are 14 spots in front of them. People would have said Louisville should have a better roster than Missouri. There are 20, only 20 spots ahead of them in the portal. So it's it really is about you know i would have people said Ole miss went and got some better pieces than missouri got in the portal they're just missouri kicked crap out of them so it's i think you really and and they've got like not even arguably
0: like they have more talented young players
1: right so everything right now is is especially fluid i think it's it's hard for us to sort of evaluate because if you were to look at the past 20 years of like Data on like teams that are struggling, high majors that struggle, it's kind of you have to include the caveat that the portal is going to be a factor moving forward. So, a lot of teams are going to be, I think, in a similar position to Missouri. Um, I think you could say there are about 10 or 11 teams between 90 and 150 that are high majors that are probably going to be having to have the same conversation that we've had there or that Missouri's administration is going to have to have, which is you know, we're four, five, six years into this. Do we keep going, or do we now say, with the portal, do we do one more roll of the dice with a guy? So I don't think Missouri's in alone in the situation. I think that there's sort of the game theory of if you're a program, you're looking around, going, well, maybe Louisville comes open. You know, maybe Jim, you know, Jim Boeheim decides to hang it up at Syracuse. You know, Maryland's are, you know, now you've got Maryland, Syracuse, you know, Louisville open, you know, those, those are three jobs that I, you know, what if Georgetown says we're going to bite the bullet and we're going to move on from Pat. Those are four programs that objectively are probably better than the Missouri job. And now suddenly you're not getting the pick of the litter. You're like, all right, maybe we're middle tier of the 15 I major jobs that come open. So I, I think that's what's going to be fascinating is not just evaluating Conzo's performance, not just evaluating where, waiting where the program is in a vacuum, but where it sort of sits amid all these other programs and whether or not in this current era, it's worth taking one more opportunity. So that that's going to be something I think we have to account for as we move towards the end of the year. Do
0: you, uh, you want to address any of the foul stuff at all? I kind of feel, feel like I said my piece a little bit.
1: I mean, one, I think it's a factor not so much in the free the free throw count, obviously, because that helped Bama keep the margin close in the first half, and it was twelve of their thirty five points down the stretch. And you know, any way you cut it, it, being plus eighteen or whatever in free throws is the difference in the ball game. I don't think it explains. The entirety of it. I think it it becomes a contributing factor when you make it one. You know, Missouri, you know, before the pressure really ramped up, you know, between like 14 minutes and 10 minutes, the offense had started bogging a little bit. They had started settling for some jumpers, off-ball reversals. Um, there wasn't kind of the crispness of action. Then Bama starts to, you know, ratchet up the pressure fouls aren't being called so they're able you could just see the pickup point getting farther back you know yeah. and Bama then, and then at one point Bama's like screw it we're just going to go one two two trap and there are six possessions in a row where i was on the rewatch normally i write down what action missouri runs and it's just question marks because they were just trying to get the ball into a position where they could initiate the offense with like 15 seconds left and they were having to safety valve it so it's like By that point, you're just in late clock scramble. You're not even running your sets. So, but Bama felt like it could do that because there weren't whistles there. So, yeah, Missouri's got to be stronger with the ball. Yeah, Missouri's got to be stronger on the glass. But as I think you pointed out rightly, Bama's emboldened to be more aggressive going for 50 50 balls, to get into guys, to trap more. Like you could see them as the game, as the time went down, they were switching. And they were nudging cutters and they were outright just mugging cutters because they could. So I think, yeah, Missouri's got to get on the glass. They've got to be, they've got to come up with some 50, 50 balls. Yeah. Again, this team has to find a way to be stronger with the ball against pressure, but Bama had the, you know, license to do that because there wasn't a penalty in the form of the whistle. So contributing factor, not the only thing. Um, And, you know, when you're a team like Missouri and you're flawed, the margin for error gets really small, and when the officials aren't, you know, being as equitable with the whistles, it it, it can get you to. So, that just my two cents on it. Yeah, it was, uh,
0: it, you know, and I I tend to be like somebody who doesn't often comment on officiating because I tend to think, you know, it's one, it's really really hard to officiate games, um, especially at the college level, even more so at the NBA level, when guys are just so athletic and doing things that don't seem natural. Um, so, you know, I try to give the officials a break. Unless there's, you know, a situation where something like this happens, where two teams are both playing hard, they're both playing similar and they're attacking the rim and one team. And granted, Alabama's more athletic, it's probably easier for them to to block shots. Uh, you know, against Missouri players, but, you know, (laughs) Missouri was just called for 10 straight fouls. And that doesn't happen very often. Like that's, that's hard to do when two teams are playing similar styles. To me, the the question
1: was on rebounding. Like Darius Miles, like Javon Pickett goes up for a rebound. He's vertical. Instantly makes contact with Darius Miles as he's, Tipping a ball back in, called for a foul. I think earlier in the game, earlier in the second half, Dejuan Gordon comes down with a rebound, legitimately gets bumped going back up for a put for a putback, winds up on the floor, and there's no call. You know, Amari Davis runs in to get a tip in, gets practically clothesline going in, no foul. Like if you're if we're calling incidental contacts on rebounds, and you're going to get that ticky tack either way, then you got to have the whistle that way. Like there were some where Missouri legitimately fouls a guy, gets body into him, going to the rim on the drive. I'm fine with that. But if we're not going to let teams be equal on the glass and contact there, that's problematic. I thought there were a lot of instances where, look, I understand we put the hand out to measure distance and I think you should be allowed to do that. You know, as long as you are not hand checking it during the dribble, I think you should be able to, to stick your hand out and engage distance. But that wasn't what was happening. You know, there were plays where Quinterly and and Shackelford are are literally nudging guys off with their hand. So if you're not going to let that freedom of movement happen for Missouri, but as soon as there's a stray hip that catches a Bama driver, that's not the same thing. Like, if we're going to have it work that way, you know, call it. And there's, I don't think there was that, those sort of like, there wasn't sort of the same discretion being applied there, but alas, it it wasn't the sole thing that cost Missouri that game. Um, but it, it certainly didn't help.
0: No, um, yeah. So we've got a big week, uh, for Missouri uh, coming up. The uh, game tomorrow, Auburn. Um, clearly, a lot of people will probably uh be listening to this before that. Hopefully, um. I'm hoping that they keep it close. But to me the 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 bigger matchup is is going to be f- to see if they can go in and 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 really be competitive and and make the game, you know, tough up the names I think they can. Um, you know, I think Iowa states played well uh all year. They they obviously you pointed out they defend well. Um, but they're a team that you can you can frustrate on uh on the offensive end and um and so uh I if you can come out of this week with, with one win, I think man, you're you're feeling pretty good, uh, going into I think, you know, next week where the schedule gets slightly easier. Um
1: Florida's not looking so hot.
0: Yeah, Florida lost again. And as long as Colin Castleton is is not playing, they're in trouble.
1: Right. Um that trip to A and M is tough, but then you got Vandy and and Ole Miss. this is a stretch where i think if we can pick up the next two weeks are one where you can maybe pick up one or two other wins and then you're starting to think okay maybe the the worst it, it has when I say worst I mean single digit a single digit wins. single digit win total is off the table and you have Mississippi state coming in and you got south carolina Georgia so uh next two weeks after this one are are, are big i think to try and uh for this staff's ability to uh bolstered's case for another year yeah um okay so
0: you and i um so actually next week the wednesdays we'll have a couple days padding um but we'll still report monday um if you have like anything that that's uh on your mind and you want to ask us um we're asking for uh i guess folks to leave a review and if you leave a five-star review and ask your question in the, the text of the review um, we will answer that question um, as a just sort of a way to mix it up and a way that we're receiving uh, votes but uh or not votes but and it'll also kind of help us you know move the charts if anybody's looking for i mean I'm, I'm assuming it is when anybody's looking for podcasts are probably not looking for mizzou basketball podcasts but uh I, I, you know anyone listening to this has probably been a loyal loyal listener for a while we appreciate that uh I'd like to draw as many more loyal listeners as we can get into this thing and then you also get like nate and bk it's 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 it's
1: just the best man that it is top 10 podcasting you get it right in your feet every week
0: yeah, top 10 SB Nation, College. We're rocking. Uh, so we'll be back next week. Uh, as usual, all complaints go to Levi. You can uh, add him on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter if you want uh, at Sam T. Snelling, at Matt J. Harris, 85. Um, that was Matt's number when he played basketball, was 85. For some reason, they let him have that number. It was 10 or 11, um, actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's definitely not not a birth year or anything like that. Um, so we'll uh, we'll be back next week. And thanks everybody for tuning in.